0: Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. I'm joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong, and today, With nine days left in this presidential term, we are going to be talking about ways to remove and punish the President of the United States for the events that happened last week. I'm talking about the insurrection in the Capitol. We're gonna be focused on three different constitutional provisions on federal crimes. There's a lot of legal questions, political issues swirling around. We're gonna try to just march through in a really clear and organized way give you answers to all your questions and help explain what we think could happen next and what will happen next. Mr. Armstrong, another unprecedented day. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Jessica. Things are moving fast and furious in the aftermath of last week's violence at the Capitol. This morning, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House of Representatives introduced an article of impeachment against Donald Trump. Now, this is the second article of impeachment of his presidency, and in fact, the second in just over a year. Again, we talk about things seeming like a thousand years ago, but that impeachment trial was just last year around this time. The charge this time around is incitement of insurrection, and it comes in the aftermath of the deadly assault on the U.S. Capitol from January 6th, just last Wednesday. Now, that was the day that Congress was voting on the Electoral College vote. Now, the death toll for this currently stands at six if you include the Capitol police officer that committed suicide on Saturday Worthy of note is that former Capitol Police Chief Terrence Gaynor described Officer Howard Liebengood's death as, quote, a line of duty casualty. Now, this was in an interview with CBS News. Officer Brian Sicknick died Thursday night after being bludgeoned during the riot. Now, this death toll should bring to mind why this is so important and why things are moving so quickly. The text of the new article of impeachment states, quote, Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States, end quote. And it mentions multiple of Trump's false claims of election fraud since the election on November 3rd of 2020. Now, the House of Representatives is slated to address the article later this week. It is unclear if and when the Senate would take up the matter. For a president to be removed from Senate, Jessica, as you know, the Senate has to vote. And given the current makeup of the Senate, that means every Democrat and 17 Republicans would have to vote in order for Trump to be removed from office. So that seems like, uh... Long shot there, but we'll see, I guess. A two-thirds majority is needed to approve that vote. There is some support on the Republican side of the aisle, which is a change since before last week's violence. Now, Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania, has publicly stated that Trump committed impeachable offenses. And Nebraska Senator Ben Sass said that he would, quote, definitely consider impeachment. Perhaps the most vocal has been Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, who has openly called for Trump to resign. And she's a swing vote a lot of times, or sometimes at least. So, Jessica, as I said, things are moving quickly, fast, and furious. Let's talk about how these measures function, and let's start with impeachment. Take it away, Jessica.
0: Yes, Joe, that's right. We are talking about impeachment for a historic second time. We have never, of course, impeached a president of the United States twice. We have never started impeachment proceedings this late in a term. Now, let's remind everybody, under the Constitution, when can you impeach a president? You can be removed for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And as a reminder, high crimes and misdemeanors probably doesn't even mean behavior that would rise to the level of being convicted in a courtroom. So there's a lot of wiggle room here for the House. Now, as you said, the article of impeachment deals with inciting violence and essentially causing the insurrection in the Capitol. Now, what would happen in an impeachment? We've been through this before, everybody, but let me briefly walk through it again. The House draws up articles of impeachment as they just have. The House can fast track that so they don't go through committees. They basically can vote very quickly and say, up or down, yes, the president could be impeached. That could happen as quickly as Wednesday or Thursday. That's just a simple majority vote. Then it goes to the Senate. And here's where we're in less charred territory. Now, I think that the best argument, the best constitutional conclusion here is that you can, in fact, have a Senate trial even once the president is out of office. Now, there are some lawyers who will tell you, no, the Senate trial, everything has to happen before the president's term is over. Some people will say, The impeachment itself has to happen while the president is in office. But the trial can happen after he's out of office. And then the third bucket basically says timing doesn't matter. Everything can happen after the president's term. So where are we in this case, though? We're in a place where the president is very likely, I think, to be impeached by the House while he is still in office with just single digit days to go. And then tried in the Senate after he is out of office. Now, why would you want to do that? The answer is that the consequence of impeachment is not just removal from office, because obviously if the term is up, then It's moot to say we should remove the president from office. One consequence can be saying you cannot run for higher office again, and you can't raise money for higher office again. So the president could not go around the country giving speeches, saying he's running for office in 2024, raising money for that, you know, getting all the benefits of the campaign finance system. He couldn't do any of that if, in fact, somehow 67 senators were willing to convict on this article of impeachment.
1: Now, Jessica, you talked about wiggle room. What kind of defense would the president be able to mount here? Is this a First Amendment issue?
0: The president might be able to raise a First Amendment defense. Now, again, we don't have the same standards that we would in a courtroom. Impeachment proceedings are not proceedings that happen under the rules of evidence, you do not have to prove that the president could be convicted of a crime in order to impeach him. The president might in this case say, I should be protected because I was engaged in the thing that we're most worried about censoring, and that is political speech. And you as the government impeaching me and convicting me, you're treading on my political speech. Now, Let's remember, we have a very robust tradition of protecting the First Amendment in our country, but there are still limits. For instance, inciting violence. You don't get to have protection if you tell someone, go commit a crime. Now, I don't know that this is the defense the president would use in impeachment. It could be the defense he uses if he does face criminal charges for what just happened. Do you want to? move from impeachment to briefly talk about criminal charges.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do so.
0: So, again, a very bizarre sentence to utter, but the President of the United States could face charges for inciting the insurrection, for inciting violence. Now, these aren't easy cases, but at this point, I think that there is at least a non-frivolous, sorry, everybody, for the legal term, but I think there's at least a non-frivolous case to be made that if you look at what the president said, it was quite specific in that rally. Now, inciting violence is not just, everybody support me and the election was stolen and let's make sure our voices were heard. But he said more than that. He said, let's go to the Capitol, let's fight, let's show we're not weak. I think the specificity of what the president said could potentially give rise to those charges. Now, again, I don't think it's a slam dunk, but we are in the arena of talking about that. Here again, we bring up another question, which is it's something, Joe, you and I have talked about before, which is presidential self-pardon. So last time we talked about this, again, feels like 100,000 years ago. I think it was about six days ago. We were asking if the president could pardon himself for the phone call he had with the Georgia Secretary of State, where he essentially leaned on him to commit voter fraud and, quote unquote, find more votes in Georgia. In this case, we're talking about a different pardon, a pardon for the speech he gave that led to this insurrection. Now, reminder, we have never had a president try to pardon himself before. We do not know if it's constitutional. What would happen is the president would have to issue a pardon that covered this behavior. Then a federal prosecutor would have to charge the president with crimes related to this behavior. The president would next have to say, hey, no, I have a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm using my pardon. The prosecutor would have to reply, no, you're not. Self-pardons are not constitutional. And that would set up the challenge. That would set up the live case or controversy for federal court that would give us an answer as to whether or not the president can self-pardon. One more addition to this. We know in the Constitution that you cannot pardon yourself out of an impeachment, So that's answered. We don't know if the president can pardon himself out of federal criminal charges. And last reminder, a presidential pardon can never reach state crimes. And there certainly are state investigations ongoing at this point. Joe, back to you.
1: We are in uncharted territory, Jessica, as you said before. Now, let's move on to the 25th Amendment, which is another resolution that was introduced today in the House. Impeachment, as we know, is not the only way to remove a president. And some are calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, which was certified by President Lyndon Johnson on February 23, 1967, in order to clarify what would happen if a president was unable to fulfill their duties or had to be removed for cause. Now, that's the very important part of this, Jessica. Tell me, what is the cause here?
0: Well, the cause here would be that the president is unable, as you said, to fulfill the powers and duties of his office. So again, we have never used Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. It's a 1967 amendment, as you said, which fills a hole that we had in our Constitution. We basically didn't know what to do if the president was alive but disabled, either mentally or physically. And the Section 4 of the 25th Amendment is supposed to answer that question. So the important thing to remember for the 25th Amendment is that all roads lead through Vice President Mike Pence, and it does not look like he wants to invoke this provision. So the 25th Amendment, one road is for the Vice President and a majority of the cabinet, the 16-member cabinet, to say, the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. That's the quote from the Constitution. Now, there's another route here, and there's legislation being introduced about this route, which is that the vice president can also consult with principal officers of the executive department or of other such bodies as Congress may by law provide. And so that's what we're talking about, creating another body other than the cabinet, that the vice president could say, I think the president is unable to fulfill the powers and duties of his office. Now, buckle up, folks, because, of course, that's not the end of the story, even in an alternative world in which the vice president of the United States invokes Section 4 of the 25th Amendment even when he gets either the cabinet or another legislative body to agree, the president of the United States, as we know, can say, actually, I'm all good here. At that point, the vice president and either the cabinet or this other group decides whether or not to double down and say, no, you're not. If they double down and say, you're really not okay," then Congress has 21 days to decide. Congress would have to vote both houses, both the House and the Senate, by two-thirds to say that the president is unable to fulfill the powers and duties of his office. And that is really the ball game here when we're talking about using Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. Again, have never used it in our nation's history, really uncharted territory here. And I think in part it's being talked about because it could potentially happen very quickly while Congress is sorting out whether or not they're going to vote by two-thirds to remove the president. At that point, Vice President Pence would be in charge during that time period, and that would run out the clock on this presidency.
1: Now, Jessica, there is one more amendment in play here, which is the 14th Amendment. It deals with aiding and abetting the people who may have helped Donald Trump foment this insurrection in the Capitol, a provision of which bars any office holder who takes part in insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding federal or state office. Now, the House is also looking into addressing lawmakers who acted along with President Trump. Mo Brooks of Alabama, Lewis Gohmert of Texas both spoke at Trump's rally near the White House before the crowd marched to the Capitol building. And even in the aftermath of Wednesday's violence, Senators Ted Cruz of Texas and Josh Hawley of Missouri objected to the counting of electoral votes. And Hawley went so far as to visibly raise his fist in solidarity with the mob before they broke into the Capitol. Jessica, tell us if this is something that's even a possibility here in terms of the 14th Amendment and
0: senators. It is a possibility, but I don't think it is a likely possibility. We, when we think about the 14th Amendment, probably people think about the Equal Protection Clause or the Due Process Clause. Now, everybody, we're under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which, as you said, provides that you can't be a senator or a member of the House or an elector of the president or the vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States. And that's where people think that the president is included in Section 14, even though it doesn't specifically name him. And there's an argument that if you don't specifically name the president, you don't think that he should be included. But let's assume for a moment that the president is included under section 14. Again, why would we have removal here? Because the amendment says that you cannot serve in those offices if you engage in insurrection or rebellion or have given aid or comfort to the enemies of people, the implication is, who engaged in insurrection or rebellion. Now, Again, this has never been used to remove a sitting president. There's very active chatter about what exactly would happen if the provision is, in fact, kind of self executing. The last line of this constitutional provision says, but Congress may, by a two thirds vote of each House, remove such disability. I think the best reading of that is that it would take two thirds of each house to say, no, actually, it's okay, you can be seated. So this is one of those ipso facto, by the very fact of it happening, the idea is that the present would be automatically removed. Again, I think this is the stuff of really interesting, at least for me, constitutional discussions, but I don't think this is likely. The provision was used after the Civil War, to say we're not going to seat Confederates in Congress who were elected from states in the South, unreconstructed states in the South. But you know the mere fact that we're having a discussion about it, I think, shows where we are as a country.
1: Oh, Jessica, as always, thank you so very much for providing some clarity. These are murky waters for those of us who are not legal scholars. And it seems like Sometimes murky for you as well. So uh, thank you for doing your best on that. Now, Jessica, my lingering question remains with just over a week left in office. What would be the point of impeaching Donald Trump? You talked about running out the clock. The movers are scheduled. He is leaving on the 20th of January. What good can come of all this?
0: Yeah, I think it's really two points here. The first is to send a message and say you don't get to engage in a certain type of behavior just because you're close to the end of your term and because we're all just politically exhausted and it might not be politically expedient. So it's the idea that we really have to decide what type of society we want to live in. And part of answering that question is to say we don't care if it's temporally you know, not great timing, that we're going to go ahead and use the constitutional provisions that are there. And that's kind of leads us to point two, which is, if you have constitutional provisions that allow for impeachment, which we do, if you have constitutional provisions that allow for the involuntary removal of the present, which we do, if you have another constitutional provision that talks about not aiding and abetting enemies of country, which we do, then if they mean anything, we should use them. Constitutional provisions are like muscles. When the moment arises, you want to use it. And so that's a little bit of a law professor talking in the end of this. But again, I think it's important symbolically, and I think it's important to show that our governing document still does have teeth to it.
1: Thinking of a sports analogy, Jessica, one of your most favorite things I know. (laughs) But the referees do not throw out the rules at the end of a basketball game, baseball game, soccer game, football game. You know, I know those of us who watch football games to the bitter end sometimes, you'll see a penalty thrown on... I don't know, an unsportsmanlike conduct behavior at the very, very end of a game. There's five seconds on the clock. It doesn't mean anything practically, but it does matter because we either have rules or we do not. We either have laws or we do not. And it's imperative that we follow those laws. You know, these things cast a shadow on the future governance of our country. And people who think that someone like Donald Trump won't come around again are fooling themselves. So Jessica, I just have to say before we go, I am absolutely flummoxed to have found myself living in a country where the mere concept of a president considering pardoning himself is a reality. And in the aftermath of this interaction and four plus years of weaponized divisiveness, I do not know where we go from here.
0: Well, this is going to sound so trite, but we continue to have these conversations, right? And this really is the moment to say our constitution has been stress tested. Our country has been stress tested. We have to fortify the country and we have to fortify the governing document. That's a huge task. It's not a fair task for anyone, but this is the moment. We, I mean, look, we have countries basically calling us and saying, Are you guys okay over there? This is the moment to try and fulfill our promise. This is the moment not to get back to some exceptionalism, but to get back to saying that this experiment in self-governance, this experiment in democracy can hold. And so listeners, as always, we're really grateful that we get to have these conversations. And we're going to continue well throughout the Biden administration and beyond. So you can find Joe, our producer, our co-host, a musician in his own right, across the socials, as he says, on In-Depth Day. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the show on Twitter at past Judgment Pod, and on Instagram, which is now more robust, at Passing Judgment Pod. And we hope that we helped to talk through some of these difficult issues with you. We wish you all a good day, and we'll talk to you soon.